0: You know, um, that's a new, newer song for us to sing. And so some of you may know it. Some of you might not know it that well. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about what we just sang. I mean, I really, I really want you to stop and, and think about it. Too often we get stuck in this, in this mode where we just, you know, we kind of look at the, okay, we're singing a song and we recognize it great. We don't recognize it well then. We, we don't really sing. Um, that's not a complicated song to sing. Um, And so if you find yourself sitting and listening, you're like, I don't know this one. You need to check your heart. You might have some repenting to do because we just sang that God split the, (laughs) he split the sea so that we could walk right through it and that our sin and our fear are drowned in this perfect love that God the Father has for us. And that we are now standing and singing, listen, unashamedly, with nothing but joy in your heart that simply says this, I am a child of God. You are not a slave to fear, or at least you shouldn't be. You know, there are there are times, sometimes on, on Sunday mornings, where it becomes especially easy uh, to kind of, I think, sit back and, and go through the motions of worship. And I get it. I understand it. I'm guilty of it at times. But understand what I'm saying to you. God has lavished such love on us that we can be called children of God. Not that we earned it. Not that we deserve it. Not that there's anything special in me that God needs as a part of his family, but he loves me to such a degree that he lavishes love on me so that I am no longer rooted in sin and fear, but that I can stand firmly and say that I am loved and I am shameless and I am a child of God. This is a big deal. This is why we gather together to worship that God, to experience that God this morning. Please don't take it for granted. This is the time in the service where uh, we we collect our morning's offerings. But before we do that, I want to show you a slide, Jim. You want to throw that up there? Uh, It's about our building. Uh, Now, listen, if you're visiting with us today, I promise we don't always talk about money. You just need to come more often so you see that this is not our regular conversation. Okay. But I want to clue you in as to where we're at with um, our mortgage with the building. And so some of you have been here for nine, ten years. Some of you have been here since we were at the cottage. You know all this. You know it well. Some of you are new in the last few years or even the last few weeks, and you don't know exactly where we're at, <coughs> excuse me, where we're at, what's going on. I want to clue you in. About nine years ago, uh, this church was worshiping together over at the Braille School in a small room, um, I wasn't there, um, but from what I understand, it was a room that, that, that wasn't very conducive necessarily to worship. Um, but Subway surfers. Um, uh, it wasn't very conducive to worship necessarily, but it's what we had, and it's what God granted us, and it was great. But in that, there was this desire to, to establish a church, and God laid on the hearts of our leaders and of the people to do that. And so at that point in time, about a quarter of a million dollars was raised to pay for a million dollar project. That's the building we're sitting in, okay? Um, And so we took out a mortgage of three quarters of a million dollars. Uh, Now, at the time, the church was, uh, I wasn't here, like I said, but from what I understand, was maybe 100 people. So this was a big step of faith, trusting that God would provide and, and he has. Um, and on top of the money they raised before they took that mortgage, um, about a year later, they also raised an additional quarter of a million dollars to finish the basement uh, because that wasn't part of the original plans. It was down there, but it wasn't finished. Okay. When I got here three years ago, um, through faithful giving and, and faithful stewardship, uh, that mortgage was down to under half a million dollars, $450,000, and through your continued faithful giving, um, in December, it was all the way down to almost just under 150. And because of your faithful year-end giving, um, in January we got to make a lump sum payment to bring it down to 117. Okay, in April we we made another lump sum payment. It was down to 90, and with the payment that we'll get to make with May 1st being tomorrow, it'll be down to 60. Okay, so um, 1.25 million dollars nine years ago. And we're down to $60,000 now. That means we've paid off $1,190,000 in about nine years. And I'm going to say that that's a testament to God's power and your faithfulness and generosity. And together that that's happened, that, that we're about, we're on the cusp, we're on the verge of celebrating the close of our mortgage, and the elders have, have asked for a push, a drive to let's kill this thing in the second quarter of this year, let's finish this off, and so I want to encourage you to be in prayer. Um, first of all, just a blanket prayer that God would allow us to be finished with this mortgage, that God would allow us to move on from it, that God would allow us to put it to rest. Thanking him for the provision that he's given, uh, the building that he's given, um, and, and being able to put it down. Okay, At the same time, I'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider and to ask God what he might lay on your heart as far as um, giving an above and beyond gift to help us finish the mortgage. I know that's a rough ask, right? Like, hey, I know what you should do. You should pray and ask God if you can give an above and beyond gift um, so that we can finish the mortgage. I get it, okay? I can promise you that I'll be praying the same prayer, and I just want to encourage you to do that. And then, then you deal with God. Whatever God lays on your heart, you deal with him, I'll deal with God in whatever he lays on my heart, and that's how we'll do this, okay? But our goal is to be able to celebrate, by the end of June, um, to be able to celebrate that God has faithfully um, worked in and through us, and uh, that we're able to walk away um, from our original mortgage, and so we're excited about that, um, and would ask you to join us in prayer for that, okay? Uh, this time, we'll also collect our morning offerings, so we'll ask the ushers to come forward and prepare Uh, I want to remind you, if you're visiting with us today, uh, please feel under no obligation to give. Obviously, if God lays it on your heart to do so, great, Um, but we're just excited that you're worshiping with us today. Um, And remember um, that everything we do, all of the ministry that we provide, everything that's about taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to people in our community that need to know it, um, that's all funded through your generosity. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mission. God, we, we submit to you that everything we do is about the gospel of Jesus, that everything we do is bringing light where there's darkness and light, um, life where there's death and hope where there is none. God, we desire to see lives changed for the better. We desire to see families changed, marriages changed, relationships changed blossom. We want to see the gospel go where it isn't. Father, we want to see a kingdom movement. We want to see um, your people gathered together to storm the gates of hell, knowing that they don't have a chance against the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, that's our heart's desire and so we ask you to take these resources, take this, these offerings that people are, are generous with and multiply it and use it in great ways to bring your kingdom in power. God, and thank you for the privilege that it is to be a part of your mission. God, we love you and we praise you. Amen. And uh, jump right in as the elders, or I'm sorry, as the ushers, uh, finish uh, the collection of this morning's offering, and um, we'll get started. I want to um, I want to remind you that we are now kind of firmly into our series, walking through the Book of Colossians. Uh, it's a letter that, that Paul writes to the church in Coloss, uh, and we are we are um, studying this series, this letter, and, and it's called Freedom from. Religion, Because what we've seen and what we'll continue to see is that there is a significant, stark difference between a religion that teaches us to do more, to do things so that God will accept us, and Christianity, a relationship with Jesus Christ, something genuine that teaches us that everything that needed to be done has already been finished, Okay? Therefore, we work hard, but we work hard from a position of children of God, not from a position of earning God's favor. Okay, And that might seem like a subtle shift, but if you've ever been stuck trying to make God like you more, then you know what a ridiculous, cruel game that is. Because as soon as you get As soon as you get some headway in doing things that you think will please God, you screw up again. And you're in a bigger hole than you were when you started. And so you try more and more. But all of a sudden, you're in a bigger hole again than you were when you started. And it's just a cycle that continues. And it's exhausting. It wears you out. It's frustrating. And so we either burn out or we give up or we drive ourselves insane. Trying to make God like us. But what we've discovered in the first couple weeks of this series, and if you're just joining us or you've missed, you can always go online and listen and catch up. But what we're discovering is that God is not actually angry with us, God is not mad at us. But what God has done is God has given everything for us. It's what we call the gospel. Jesus Christ has given everything on our behalf so that we can stand here as children of God most high. That's what uh, John means in 1 John when he says, what love the Father has lavished on us that we get to be called children of God. Think about that. It's not, not lightly brushed on, right? I don't bake, but I, I, I've watched, Aubrey's a baker, and I've watched Aubrey bake, and um, I know there was this, I can't even remember what it was. She was making some homemade cinnamon rolls. I think Nicole Lutz made them here with the kids, and Aubrey decided she had to make them at home. Um, and it was supposed to to just brush on some cinnamon, right? Just a little bit of cinnamon, you just brush it on. No, I mean, she dumped the whole thing out. So you would say, it, with that dough, she lavished it with cinnamon. Now, she's in the Dells this morning. My family's there on on, on a little trip. They went without me. Can you believe that? Whew. Dodged a bullet. Um, <laughs> they, she called me the first night, and uh, they're at the wilderness in, uh, in the Dells, and um, apparently um, Travis and his friend had gotten themselves lost um, walking around trying to get from laser tag back to the hotel room. Um, Carrie had to, in her pajamas, go find them. That's my kid that drives now. <laughs> so that's awesome. Um, but anyway, so my, my point is Aubrey's not here, so I can say this. They were not good when they were lavished so extravagantly with cinnamon. Um, But that's what God says, okay? He says that he loves us so much that he lavishes us with this great unfailing love. So know that as we start today, because today we talk about something different. Paul shifts as we go through Colossians. He shifts a little bit, and the tone shifts. And today we talk about what does it mean now that we know that God has lavished us with this great love? What does it mean to be a game-changer? What does it mean to make your life about that? Okay? And so things shift today. Let me ask you this question. What do you want most out of life? Let me say it this way. If somebody called you on the phone, right? I know we're at church. We're at church, and I'm your pastor and I'm asking you this question, and I know that garners a specific kind of answer, but let's pretend that's not true. Let's pretend you were at home and you got a phone call, and somebody was doing a random survey, because this happened in 2015, and in the random survey, they asked the question, what do you want most out of life? What do you think you'd answer? i tell you what, what 68% of the people answered. 68% of the people answered in some way, shape, or form, that what they wanted most out of this life was to be happy. Now, the answers varied a little bit. Some of them actually said happy. Um, Some of them said, I want to go on extravagant vacations. Some of them said, I want, um, no joke, awesome jewelry, money, healthy success, abundance, right? One person actually said, I just want to hold on to everything I have now. I want to end the life with everything that I have right now. 68% of people, 7 out of 10 almost, answered that what they wanted most out of life was to be happy. And if we're honest, that's probably how most Christians answer that question. We know that. I mean, if we're honest, right? I mean, we, we know, like, so, so here's the way you could really think about it. It's like, which one do you want? I want to live comfortable, a comfortable life um, and, and one that's, that's in my control and I have what I need and I'm safe. That's what most of us desire. We, we want to live a comfortable life uh, where it's in my control and I have what I need and I'm safe or do you want to live a life that matters for the kingdom and echoes through eternity? See, that's the question that we have to answer. That's the thing that we need to know. And almost all of us, because we're at church and because we're good Christian folks, here's what we would say. We would say, we pay lip service to that life. We want to live that life that matters. We want to outlive ourselves. We want to leave a legacy. We want want us to matter. We want people to think of us long after we're gone, and we want them to say, man, the world is different. The kingdom is different because of that person. Heaven is different because of that person that's what we say we want and maybe we really do but in the grand scheme of things you know what happens I really like to be comfortable and I really like to be safe and I really like extra cash so I can order pizza whenever I feel like it and I really want to sleep in right and I really don't want my friends to think I'm weird And so I really don't want to risk my relationships by talking about the gospel. I don't want people to see my weird pastor up here that shouts all the time. So I don't want to invite them to church because then they'll judge. Listen, I get it, except for the pastor part. I mean, we know better. But just because we know we're supposed to want to live a life that outlives ourselves, that we're supposed to want to be game changers. We get stuck choosing instead every day not the thing that changes lives, not the things that changes destinies, not the thing that puts us on mission, not the thing that changes things. Instead, what we choose every day is the thing that's comfortable and the thing that's safe and the thing that's easy. But get this big idea here as we get into Scripture. Jesus didn't die on the cross to keep you safe. He died to save your life, and in the process, he made you dangerous. He made you dangerous. Listen to me. You are never more dangerous to the enemy. You are never more dangerous for the kingdom. You are never more valuable than when you are actively about the work of the ministry, than when you are actively about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't die to keep you safe. He died to make you dangerous, and it's something that you need to get on board with. In your bulletin, you got one of these cards. You've seen them before, most likely, um, unless you're new, and, and this is our invest, pray, and invite card. And there's spots for three names. And so what I ask you to do, and I'm going to wait while you do it now, um, I ask you to do is to write down the name of three people that you need to invest in, that you need to be praying for, that you need to be inviting either to church or into a relationship with God that you need to be purposely, actively on mission for. I'm going to ask you to write down those three names. Some of you have three names to write down. Some of you have this already. If you're like me, you carry it around in your wallet. It's a nice reminder every time you open your wallet, and and I know who exactly I'm praying for, and who exactly I'm investing in their lives, and I love you, and you might call me and say, Matt, let's go out to dinner, and I'm going to say, you know what? I would love to, but I got a chance to invest in this guy tonight, and so I'm going to pass, and that I'm broken in prayer for these people and I'm inviting them into spiritual conversations and to come to church every time I get the opportunity to. Some of you have this, and some of you have names that you're writing on your card right now, but some of you, let's be honest, some of you can't think of three people I mean, some of you are sitting there and you honestly can't think of three people to write on your card that you would pour into and invest and invite into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I will tell you this, it is time to repent of that. Because if that's you, if you don't have people in your life that you can invite into a relationship with Jesus Christ, then what in the world are you doing with your life? Because it's not what you're supposed to be doing with your life. And Paul makes that so clear as we jump back into Colossians. We're still in chapter 1. Okay, we're, we're going to start with verse 24. I promise you we'll get to chapter 2 today, week 3 of the series, and we're going to be in chapter 2. We're really going fast. Here's what he says. He says, I am glad. This is Paul writing to the church now. He says, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body, for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body, the church. And I love the way this starts, and it's so profound, and I don't want you to miss it. Here's what he says, okay? He acknowledges right off the bat that the Christian life is going to lead to suffering. That is a terribly unpopular message, especially in America with our cultural Christianity, the idea that Christianity, that living a Christian life will lead to suffering, is not something that we like to talk about. It's not something we like to admit. It's not even something that we acknowledge in most churches. Why? Well, because it usually drives people away. Right? It usually pushes people away instead of brings them in. But listen, if you are going to live a sold out Christian life, you will be putting yourself at risk, even in this safe country. I'm not, maybe, maybe you'll be physically at risk. Maybe. That's possible. That happens. But you will certainly be putting yourself at emotional risk. You'll be risking relationships. You'll be risking hurt. You'll be risking disappointment. You'll be risking a lot. Paul was risking his life. Paul was risking his safety. Paul was beaten and starved and thrown in jail, and and they tried to kill him multiple times. He was shipwrecked, all of this. But he says, I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body. Because I'm participating in something so much bigger than that. Listen, something that you need to understand is that suffering is not an indicator that God is unhappy. Some of us have this idea that when my life gets hard, that when my life is difficult, that that's an indicator that God is not happy with me. And you know what? Sometimes that's true. When you are living in reckless sin, right? I mean, let's be honest. When you're sleeping with people that you're not supposed to sleep with, when you're living with people you're not supposed to live with, when you're drinking things you're not supposed to drink too much of, uh, when you're you're taking drugs that you're not supposed to take, when you're taking things that don't belong to you, when you're spreading gossip and rumors, when you're hurting people instead of loving people, when you do those things, there will often be times that God will allow hardship in your life, and it's meant to be a wake-up call for you. Okay? It's meant to be a wake-up call for you. But okay? Every time there's a hardship in your life, it does not mean that God is trying to get your attention. Oftentimes, what we have to realize is that being on mission in this life is difficult. Being on mission is hard. And Paul says here, look, I'm going to suffer. You're going to suffer. But instead of being mad about my suffering and saying, well, God must not love me. God must be angry with me. God must not be who he says he is. God must not be everything I thought he was going to be. Instead, Paul says, I rejoice in my suffering. Why? Because Jesus Christ suffered. Jesus Christ suffered, and so when I suffer, I know it's not some terribly tragic thing, but instead, I'm continuing my work for the body, for the church. I'm doing no less than Jesus Christ did. See, there's this grand truth about Christianity that we've been fed in this country that's like when we're good Christians when we give regularly, when we pray, when we read the Bible, when we show up in the right places, that our life will look good, that we will have it all together. And we, Christians, perpetuate that. We see somebody whose life is jacked up. We see somebody where everything is messed up, and we say, well, you know what? They need Jesus because then their life will look right. Oh, not necessarily. They need Jesus because their soul's in jeopardy. But they don't need Jesus so that their life will look right. Because I know plenty of people that love Jesus that live on the street. I know you're like Matt here in Vinton, trust me. I know plenty of people that love Jesus that suffer terribly with illness and disease and addiction and depression. And they fight and they battle. But you know what? When they battle, they consider it joy. Because it says something about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it builds and strengthens the church when they battle well. If you thought that the Christian life was supposed to be easy and smooth sailing and simple, then it's not. You're believing something that was never intended. And Paul says right here at the beginning, you're going to suffer. I suffer, but I'm glad about it okay? And so here's my, char- my charge to you, my challenge for you, is there are far too many curmudgeonly Christians. That's a word, right? Curmudgeonly. You know, like as soon as I said that, you had somebody's picture, somebody's face popped up in your head. When I said there are far too many curmudgeonly Christians, somebody's face popped up in your head. For some of you, if you're honest, it was like a mirror, right? That's tough. And you're like, oh man, I'm that guy. It's okay. But there are far too many of us. There are far too many people who are so stuck in circumstance that they can't exude joy for Jesus Christ. They can't be joyful in what's happening, knowing that God is in control and that God is moving things. But for the Christian, joy is internal. It's not external. Joy doesn't happen to me. Joy is something I have because of who I am. And the, the thing about joy in tough circumstances, I mean, that is a ridiculously loud testimony to the world. Think about your life. <coughs> Think about when things are bad. You've got another surgery. Somebody passed away. Something is hurt. Something is broken. Something isn't the way it was supposed to be. As a Christian, the way that you act, the response that you have, should tell the world what you really believe to be true about the God of the universe. If you're mad, and you're angry, and you don't mind everybody knowing it. And, and you, you shout it out there either in the real world or on social media or whatever it is, and, and everybody knows that your life sucks and that things are bad and that it's not going well, and everybody gets it because you don't mind telling everybody all about it. What kind of testimony is that about the God of the universe that saved your very life and lavishes love on you? It's not good. Not awesome. But instead, Paul says, we have joy in these scenarios. We keep going. Part of the joy is knowing knowing what he's doing. Part of the joy is knowing why the suffering has value, right? Did you know that your suffering has value? Your pain has value. Everything Paul went through had value and he knows it. And here's what he says He says, God has given me the responsibility of serving the church by proclaiming his entire message to you. The message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it's been revealed to God's people, for God wanted them to know the riches of the glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. There's a lot going on there. We're going to break that apart a little bit. First things first, we see this beginning part that God has given me. This is Paul saying, yeah, there's suffering. Yes, it's hard, but I want to be a game changer. I want To be valuable for the kingdom and so i know that there's joy from it because i have the responsibility of proclaiming the entire message to you now just to clarify the entire message is all of it not just parts of it this is a problem with the church today i know it's always like why is matt always railing on the church no i love the church It's my heart's desire to continue to serve the church. I, I do, I love the church. But one of the problems with the church today is we like parts of the message. We don't necessarily like to proclaim the entire message. But Paul says, my joy comes because I understand that God's given me this awesome responsibility to proclaim the entirety of the message to you. The entirety of the message is simply that God loves you and you are going to hell. This is the whole message that Paul has given the Colossian church when he went through there. God loves you so much. You are so broken in your sin, you're going to hell. Oh, we hate to talk about hell in church. We hate it. I hate it. I don't like it. It's not like I think it's fun to talk about hell, but that's that's the message that Paul brings them. When he traveled through and he started a church and he shared the gospel message, it was simply this. You are lost, you're broken, you're hurting, and you're going to hell. Read the book of Romans. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin are death. Period. But salvation comes in the form of Jesus Christ. See, the entirety of the gospel starts with the fact that you are not okay. That I am not okay. That my sin is not okay. No matter how normal it is, no matter how much I can make sense of it all, no matter how much the legal defense team in my head runs around and justifies everything I do, I'm not okay. My sin is not okay. But there is hope in the gospel in the form of Jesus Christ who saves lives. See, I mean, we're all broken, but there's this moment where God steps into human history in the person of Jesus Christ and he saves everything. He redeems everything. He makes everything right for those that will trust and follow him. That's the, that's the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus loves you. You need a savior. Surrender to him, accept him, follow him, and you will be okay. Your life will be changed. You'll be made whole. God will lavish so much love on you that you will no longer be a slave to fear, but you will be this child of God. It's this grand truth. And Paul says, I have the glorious responsibility and task of sharing this entire life message with you. That's why I work every day. That's why I get out of bed every morning. That's why I'm willing to suffer when things don't go well. That's why I'll turn off the TV, even though I would love to watch Sports Center for the third time, and I will get after it. That's why I will get in the Word and read and learn everything that I need to read and learn, and that's why I will be broken in prayer for far more hours than I will sit in front of the TV today. Paul didn't have TV, I was projecting. Why? Because I have this ridiculous responsibility to proclaim the entire message. And that way when something goes wrong, I can find it joy because it's not meaningless because it's doing something it means something for the sake of the gospel. But here's what we do. We love to strategize. We love to draw plays. We love to game plan. We love to go to Bible studies, right? Sometimes if we're really feeling spiritual, we'll have a prayer meeting, right? We come here on Sunday mornings. But don't you suppose God ever gets tired of our Bible studies? I mean, really think about that for a second. Do you suppose God ever gets tired of your Bible studies? Sure he does. I mean, I like Bible studies. I want you to go to Bible studies. We have small group semester coming up in a little bit, and I want you to be a part of it. We have faith in action, and I want you to be a, all the. You suppose God ever gets tired of though? Sure he does. If it doesn't lead to something, if we don't stop drawing up plays and don't stop studying the playbook and never go out and actually play the game, then it's got to be detestable to him. You know what it's like. Jim, show show this little silly clip here.
1: I think it's already starting. Welcome to my basketball class. I can't say anything about basketball because I don't know how to play basketball. Well, yeah, don't worry, I'm gonna teach you. I am not teasing, I'm serious. Well, I'm, I'm gonna teach you. I'm serious because I never play basketball and real. You just put the ball on the ground and then you start doing that and then it will... When are we going to be done with this? I'm serious. When are we going to? Here, now, you try it. I'm not going to do it. This is how you do it late. I'm you start serious, to guys. It I don't know how to fight a basketball any day. You dribble as fast as you can to the basket, and then you shoot it, and then hit it on the backboard, and then... And it's taking too long, because... You know why it's taking too long? It's because I'm sweaty. You can play basketball. I'm serious. I'm sweaty. How can you be thinking you're sweaty when you haven't done anything I've asked you? I am hot. That's why I was running for so long and hot. So I have sweaty. I'm serious. I'm not teasing. It was outside, and I'm serious. So how did the basketball last year? It went really, really, really well. I'm not cheating. Everyone, stop saying. So, so
0: here's the problem. <laughs> we do that, right? I mean, we do that. Like some of you right now are like, "When is he going to be done? Why does it have to take so long?" And you were here last Sunday. Yeah, I know. It, we are sweaty. It's okay. Right? I hear you. But here's the problem. How many of you, and I'm, I'm asking you to, this is, this is honesty time with yourself. I don't need you to answer out loud to me, but honestly with yourself. And you know what? Perhaps repentance time if you need to. But how many of you, from the time you sang our last song and said our last amen last week and you hit the door, how many of you did anything gospel-related between then and now? How many of you were broken in prayer for, for one person in the last week? And not somebody's great-aunt Bertha's big toe. I Listen, we talk about great-aunt Bertha's big toe all the time. I want her toe to be healed just like you do. I don't even know who she is, but she's got to have the best toes ever because she's always our example. But I mean for somebody that is struggling in this life, how many of you were broken in prayer for someone this week? As opposed to, how many of you watched an episode of TV that you've already seen? How many of you actively served a neighbor that needs to know the gospel this week instead of served Facebook on your phone as you sat in your comfy chair? How many of you this week bothered to share the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings light where there's darkness, that saves lives where there's death and and destruction? How many of you shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody that needs to know it? And if your answer isn't, well, I did. That's what my week was about. Then you ought to be broken in repentance. Because I promise you, that you're not going to get there. You're not going to sit at judgment. And, 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 and I'm not talking about your soul here. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the effectiveness of your life. You're not going to get there and God's not going to say to you, awesome, right? Wasn't that episode of How I Met Your Mother where Barney did that one thing, wasn't that great? I'm so glad you watched that 45 times. Or, way to go at another Bible study. Boy, you really, really know Ephesians really, really well. It's okay that you didn't bother to talk to anybody about the gospel because your knowledge of Ephesians just got on them somehow. That's not how it works. See, but Paul says it's time to run some plays. He says, look, yeah, life's hard, but I have joy. I'm a game changer. I know what my life is about. My life is about the entire gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? Because look at this. Ephesians 2.10 says we're God's workmanship, his masterpiece. He's created us new in Christ Jesus. Why? So that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. I have have two verses that really drive me in life. This is one of them. Okay, first one is is 2 Corinthians 5.17. We talk about it a lot. Um, I I got it tattooed on my arm. Okay, you don't need to know that. I don't know why I felt the need to share it because it's that big of a deal to me because it's that important to me that I have this. And it says, look, this is the understanding. This is the mission. I am not who I was. I was this guy. But because of the grace of Jesus Christ, I am now this brand new guy. And then we get to Ephesians 2.10. It says, okay, new guy, understand this truth. You're God's masterpiece, and he created you new in Christ Jesus. You're new person. He created you new so that you can do the good things that he planned for you long ago. You have a mission every day, every moment, every interaction. I mean, honestly, when was the last time you woke up in the morning and you prayed, okay, God, I don't know who I'm going to run into today, but you do you know who I'm going to talk to today. So get me ready. Make the mission clear. Give me opportunities to share about my faith. Give me opportunities to share the gospel. Give me an in to invite somebody to come to church with me. Give me opportunities. When was the last time that you prepared for your day like that? Got time to read the newspaper. Do I have time to pray and ask God to bless my day and to move me in the direction I need to go? Listen, I mean, don't get me wrong. I am all good with reruns of TV. I am all good with, well, I'm kind of good with newspapers, right? I love me some ESPN. None of it's bad. But none of it's better than the mission. And that's why we have to repent, I think, at times. We keep going... Um, and we just understand. I want to remind you at this point that the reason we share the gospel, the reason that it's all about the gospel, the reason we have to be on mission with the gospel is because it's the gospel that changes lives. I mean, if you go back here, look, look what Paul says. He says the gospel's for everybody. Um, he's writing to Gentiles who used to be excluded, but now they're included. And he says, for God wanted you to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. The, the mission is for everybody. The, the gospel is for everybody, Jew or Gentile. Gentile was everybody that wasn't a Jew. Slave, free, black, white, rich, poor, man, woman, gay, straight. I'll even say it. Democrat, Republican. Gun nut, gun hater. The gospel is for Everybody. I don't care what side of those you line up on. The gospel is for everybody. And Paul says, it's this grand secret. It was secret. It's not secret anymore. The secret is this, that Jesus Christ now bursts into human history and lives inside of you and changes everything when you submit and follow him. And again, Paul says, I'm on mission. It's my responsibility to serve the church by proclaiming the entire message. And Paul doesn't have the market on that. That's your responsibility as well. And then he keeps going. He says, so what do we do? We tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all the wisdom God has given us, present them to God perfect in their relationship to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard depending on Christ's mighty power that works in me. So this is, as Paul starts to wrap this up, um, this is what he says. He says, so here's what I do. I tell everybody. Most of us haven't told one person. Forget this week. Most of us haven't told one person at all. The person you sit next to at work every day that is going to hell. I mean, let's be really, really clear about that. The entire gospel, not just that God loves you, but that God loves you and you need saving. That person that you like, you laugh with, you sometimes go out to lunch with, that you hang out with, that is actively on their way to hell. You sit by them every day and not once have you shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. But here, Paul says, so I tell others about Christ. I warn everyone. You know what Paul was? Paul was a fanatic. Paul was that guy you hated to be around. Paul was the guy that was weird. Paul is the one that we would say probably thought he was better than everybody else because he was always talking about Jesus. So some of us actually make a really important decision to not be like Paul. And when we do it, we think we're actually being smart. But Paul says, I told everybody with all the wisdom God gave me. All the wisdom means, you know what? Everybody's different. The message is different. Okay? Not everybody responds to a stranger knocking on your door. Okay? Some people might. Some people respond to other things. Um, the people that are on my list, um, they, don't, they don't respond to me. Um, well, they don't respond to anything but me praying. So that's what I do. I pray that God will break them, and I pray that when God breaks them, that he'll either put me in their path or somebody else in their path to help them make sense of it all. This is what we do. With all wisdom... Knowing that everybody is different, it's our job to make sure that there is nobody in our circle that does not know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this. Well, let's, let's look at this next, this next deal here. Here's what Paul says. He says, I want you to know how much I agonize for you and for the church at Laodicea, and for many other believers who've never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is everything. Paul says, I am on my knees. I am in agony over you knowing this person. I am in agony for people to know Jesus Christ, listen to me. Are there people in your life, in your everyday circle, that don't know Jesus? And if there are people in your everyday circle that don't know Jesus, and you are doing nothing about it, that's time to repent. Because this is clear. This is clear that God has given us mission, and that the mission, no matter how hard it is, no matter how uncomfortable it is, no matter how much safety at risk. And guys, do do you understand how easy we get this? How easy this is for us? I mean, this is really easy. This is really easy for us. All we really risk in this culture when I share the gospel with somebody is for them to scoff at me, mock me, make fun of me, and send me away with my tail between my legs. That's what I risk in this country, in this climate, in this culture. This was written to a church in a city that was under oppression, where Christians were being persecuted, not made fun of, but being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ and their assertion that there is one God. And you know what? It's not Nero. It's not the emperor of Rome. It's not Zeus. It's not those idols that you keep selling and the shrines that you have all over the city. That's the persecution that Paul faced wherever he went. And he's telling these people, look, be broken about this. Your entire mission is to share this gospel. Yes, it will cost you, but my goodness, it's worth it. It's how you be a game changer. It's how you outlive your life. That's what it's about. That's the praise team to come up. And we'll see this. So, so here's what I, I need from you need. Here's what I desire from you. Here's what repentance in this looks like. First of all, it is all about the gospel of Jesus. Do not get sucked in to a fake or cheap gospel. Paul ends this chunk of scripture with this, I'm telling you this so that no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments for though I'm far away from you, my heart is with you, and I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. So don't don't get sucked into a cheap gospel that says, you know what, you don't have to change your life at all. You've got addiction, have your addiction. You've got sin in your life, yeah, you can make a good argument for having sin in your life. You might as well keep sin in your life. What? What? You're embarrassed to share the gospel? You don't have to. Just know in your heart what's true and and live a good life and people will figure it out. No, 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 don't get sucked in to a fake or cheap gospel and forget the well-crafted arguments of people that want to cheapen what God's done or that want you to add to it. Like, well, God's grace is good, but it only works if you add this to it. It only works if you say certain prayers or you do certain sacraments or you participate in certain other things. No, 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 no. No. I don't don't care what anybody says. I I don't care what you're going to read. Here's what I care. I care what the Bible, the Holy Word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us. And it simply says this, that salvation comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It's that simple. Don't get sucked in. The simple gospel of Jesus is enough. So stand. We're going to sing this last song. Um, It's another one that's relatively new to us, but you know what? It's not hard to sing. And it is all about the simple gospel and everything that it does. So sing, and as you sing, if you need to do business with God, if you need to repent in some way, shape, or form, if you need to ask to be changed, if you need to ask to move forward instead of trying to stay comfortable and safe, then this is your opportunity to do that. As Christians, because of what Jesus has accomplished, when we trust him and when we submit to him and when we follow him, it's this simple. We are no longer slaves. But we are children of God Most High. And it is that truth, it is that reality that causes us to get to work. See, we work hard as Christians, not so that God will accept us, but we work hard as Christians because God has lavished such love on us, and we are now free, and we want other people to know the same and experience the same. So, when I ask the question next Sunday, how many of you were broken in prayer for someone you know, love, care about that is on their way to hell? I hope you can excitedly say, I was. How many people spent more time in the Word than they did watching reruns on TV? Now, don't don't mean you should go just watch only new things on TV so you could say, well, I watched. No, 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 come on. How many of you poured yourself out in service for people that you can love and care for than you did just sitting and relaxing where you're comfortable and safe? Next week when I ask the question, who was on mission? Who was living a life as a game changer? I hope that we can excitedly say, you know what? We were, and we were after it because God's worth it, and we love him, and he loves us, and he's lavished this great love on us. Heavenly Father, God, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you for the truth that we are not slaves, but because of the simple gospel, we are made new, and we are made right, and Father, you have given us work to do that should bring joy to our hearts to be on mission for you. Help us to feel that and act on it and repent of the areas where we've been lazy or comfortable and not risked. God, you you desire us to be dangerous for the kingdom. Help us to live that. We love you and we praise you. Amen.